Good morning. You guys doing well? Happy New Year. Good to have you with us today at Desert Breeze. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 8. Brand new teaching series as we head into a brand new year. First Sunday of the year. As we get ready to make one of the biggest and most strategic moves in the history of Desert Breeze... More importantly, we want God to move exponentially in our lives and then move contagiously out of our lives, making a dramatic difference in our world. So we're going to be moving. We're going to be moving to our permanent site Uh, sometime this year. We'll let you know. (laughs) We'll let you know as things progress. We're excited about that. But here's what we're more excited about. We're more excited about God's uh, love working in our lives, moving him, moving in our lives and moving out of our lives to make an impact, a greater impact in our community. Most know, most people know in their head God loves them. Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. Maybe you're familiar with that Sunday school uh, song. I grew up singing it. And most would say, yeah, I know that God loves me, but very few experience his love deep in their heart on a regular basis. When God's love is on the move in your life, it will instinctively move out, positively impacting every person and part of your life. God wants to do that in our lives in 2013. He wants to move into your life with his love in a way unlike you've ever experienced before and then out of your life to make an impact within the people's lives, within your circle of touch, within your circle of influence. God wants to move us into a bigger and brighter future in 2013. So here's the thesis statement for our study this morning, this weekend. Uh, Thesis statement, summary statement. If you really understand the gospel, and we're going to be reading Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And that's in the context, obviously, of chapters 1 through 11 because he makes reference to that. And basically, he is saying, if you really understand the gospel, Romans 1 through 11, then this is how you will live. Your life will be a living sacrifice. If you really understand the gospel, this is how you will begin to live. Your life will be a living sacrifice. How do I know God's love is on the move in my life? My life will be a living sacrifice. So two questions we're going to look at this morning. What is a living sacrifice? And why do I want to be a a living sacrifice? That's where we're headed. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's go to the throne of grace one more time. Before we head into our study here this morning, God... We are delighted to be here today. Thank you for this brand new year, this first Sunday of the year. Father God, as we get ready to make one of the biggest and most strategic moves in the history of Desert Breeze, more importantly, we want you to move exponentially in our lives and then move contagiously out of our lives, making a dramatic difference in this world. God, we don't want to just know in our head that you love us. We want to experience your soul-satisfying love deep in our hearts. God, you are more dazzling, magnificent, and wonder-inducing than anything we have ever experienced. But we regularly fall short of the glory of God, as it tells us in Romans 3.23. In this new year, this new teaching series, and may we begin in this Bible study today to see, to savor, and to show how beautiful and desirable you are above all else so that our lives may be a living sacrifice for you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's take a look at this text. I'll just kind of walk through it. Give uh, just a little bit of commentary on it. Romans chapter 12, he says, I appeal to you, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore. The therefore, he's talking about the first 11 chapters. Therefore, because of the first 11 chapters, what I've just said, brothers, by the mercies of God. He's gone into extensive detail on that. Because of what God has done for you. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy 
and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And he goes on to kind of explain a little bit more of what that looks like. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world uh, mold you. Don't become like the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Stop there just for a minute. Look up here. So he's really saying, and gives us really the essence of the Christian life. The essence of the Christian life is not a moral restrained will, but it's a supernaturally transformed heart. St. Augustine put it this way, the key to life change is not the acts of the will. So if you want to have, if you want to be successful in New Year's resolutions, don't focus on your actions. You've got to focus on your heart, on your desires, the loves of your heart. Not the acts of the will, but the loves of your heart. Because the things you value, the things you love, the things you value, you will prioritize. The things you prioritize, your practice. So you follow your practices back to your heart. That's why he's saying... We're not going to be shaped by this world, but we'll be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So it's inside of our hearts, our lives, what we value, what we desire the most. That's going to be transformed. And he says, um, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good. So he's saying this is really a good way to live. It's acceptable. The word means pleasing, pleasing to God. And perfect, it speaks of maturity. You're going to grow and mature and be complete as a person. Let me, uh, let me read to you. I found this kind of, kind of interesting. This is from the message, just these first two verses. Listen to how the message puts those first two verses. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That's a a paraphrase, the message. I I think, I thought he did really a good job with that. Let me go back to the text. Now, verse 3. So he's talked about not being conformed to this world, being transformed, renewing of our mind, knowing God's will. That's all part of a living sacrifice. Then he goes on, describes it a little bit more. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, that he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. The word sober means accurate each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. Stop there just for a minute. Look up here. Do you, uh, so he's saying here, sober judgment, accurate estimate of yourself. If you are inflated uh, about yourself, it's because you have forgotten that you're a sinner. If you are deflated, it's because you have forgotten that you're, you're a sinner saved by grace. And so we shouldn't be inflated or deflated. We should be filled with the Holy Spirit. We should be preoccupied with God. That's what he's talking about there, an accurate estimate of the grace of God working in you. You are more sinful than you ever dared to think. You were so sinful, Jesus had to die for you. That, should, um, that will keep you from being inflated. It will humble you. But he loved you so much, he wanted to die for you. And that will uh, keep you from being deflated. It gives you a confidence. So you've got the humble confidence working in there. You've got an accurate estimate of who you are, that God has given you some, some giftings. Grace is what he goes on to say. He says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So you look at your body. I've got different members. I've got hands. I've got two feet, I've got eyes, ears, and they don't all have the same function as what he's saying. He said, my hands don't operate as my feet, and my eyes don't work for my ears, so they're all different. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So he's saying, so you, all of us, are unique, unique one-of-a-kind originals. We are unique as a snowflake or a thumbprint or fingerprints 
that God has uniquely worked in your life, given you gifts. And, and in fact, we help you kind of walk through this process. I teach the Game of Life class, and, and part of the process is as you become more fully devoted to Jesus Christ and what that means, part of that process is to discover how God has shaped you. You look at your spiritual gift, your heart, your abilities, your personality, life experiences, and God wants to use you to make an impact in people's lives right here, but not only right here, but out there. In other words, listen to me. You can touch people's lives for God in ways that no one else can touch their lives because of the way that God has uniquely shaped you. That's what he's saying here. These gifts, part of God's grace. So part, this is all part of this understanding of the living sacrifice. And so then he kind of goes on and describes it a little bit more. So he says, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So he didn't give you those gifts just for your sake. He gave it for the sake of the body, for a local church family like Desert Breeze. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in Teaching the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So two questions we're looking at is what is a living sacrifice and then uh, why be a living sacrifice? So let me give you the first fill in the blank. And you'll notice with the notes, and I would encourage you to take your growing notes. We've got uh, many groups that go through the growing notes each week. You can take them and work through them individually, uh, personally, even before you go to one of the groups. But walk through the growing notes, and I'll give you a number of verses, cross-references. The best commentary for Scripture is always Scripture. So I'll give you a number of cross-references. You can see there on the notes. Psalm 69, 30 through 31, Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. Those are addresses to other places in the Bible that give a little further explanation of what we're talking about here, what a living sacrifice looks like. But let me just pull from the, this text what a living sacrifice looks like. Because if God's love is truly working in, is moving in your life, your life will be a living sacrifice. What is it? Number one, it is ongoing. A living sacrifice. Make your life a living sacrifice. Uh, what does that mean? Make your life... It, he's, he's purposely paradoxical in this. It's a paradox. It's, it's almost an oxymoron a bit, but he's, you could say, make your life a living killing. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? That's what he's saying. A living killing. Now, when we talk about sacrifice, most of these folks understood the animal sacrifice of the Old Testament. And when you did an animal sacrifice in the Old Testament, once you did it, it was over. You moved on. But what he's saying, this is unlike the animal sacrifice in the Old Testament. He's saying that your life should be an ongoing sacrifice. A living killing Uh, New Testament sacrifice is ongoing. It's constant. It's unending. It's a lifestyle. I heard a pastor say this, the trouble with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. And, and that's true. That's, that's, our, that's our problem. That's what we struggle with. We think we've, we've done it. We came to church. We checked the box. And then we just go on and live life how we want to. That takes us to the next point on the notes. It is a death. So it's a living killing. What is the killing? It is a death to your will. Verse 2, that by testing, so don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed so that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God. So you put to death, you sacrifice the idea that you know best and that you have a right to live as you please. You have a right to live as you choose and you give, give it to God. So that's what you're killing. You're killing the fact that you don't know best and that you don't have a right to your life. You're giving your life to him and you don't have a right to choose kind of the path that you're going to go with your life. And it feels like a death, but it leads to the most amazing life there is. There has never been a culture in the history of the world that is more adverse to the essence of what it means to live the Christian life. This is what it means to live the Christian life. Not my will, but your will be done. It's not about me. It's about you, God. I don't live for me. I live for you. So that's, what, that's the living killing, and we do that every moment of every day is what he's saying. 
Because of his mercies, because of what he's done for us, let your life be a living, a living sacrifice. Now, this is not taught in a lot of churches in America today because it runs so contrary to not only um, our sinful nature, because our sinful nature wants to be self-focused and make life all about me. It's one of our fundamentally what's wrong with us and our culture and what's wrong with the things that are happening here, but it's also the American, it goes contrary to the American way because the American way is about, hey, you pursue your dreams, your goals. It's about you, your vision. Be whatever you want to be. Oh, and add God to that because then he will help you to be whatever you want to be. And that's not the Bible, though. That's not what the Scripture actually teaches, nor is that the Christian life. It's not my will, it's your will be done. And yet nothing will bring more life to you than that living killing, that living sacrifice. And by the way, you can find churches and you can even read books. You can go in a lot of, much of the books that are in the Christian bookstores are, are really, they make them about you. And that's, that couldn't be further from the truth. It, it isn't about you. Life is not about you. It's about him. And that's where you're going to find your greatest satisfaction is, is living for him. Not for you. You're created by God, for God, to give glory to God, to live for his glory. And that's where you'll find your greatest satisfaction. And uh, here's the next one. It affects all aspects of life. It, it affects all aspects of life. So it affects uh, our private and our public life. One of the best things my wife ever uh, has said about me, and I would hope that she would still say this about me, and I think that I certainly have been progressing in this, but she said this a number of years ago. I overheard her telling people this. She said, uh, she said with, with Pastor Ray, with Pastor Ray, she doesn't call me Pastor Ray. That would be weird if she called me Pastor Ray. But that's not a bad idea, is it? Maybe I could get her to start calling me Pastor Ray, huh? Okay, maybe not. But uh, she goes, with Pastor Ray, with Ray, what you see is what you get. Who he is on the stage or in public is who he is in private, behind closed doors. His passion for Jesus is just the same, if not more. And that's, uh, and I, I, I'm thankful for that. Because there was certainly a time in my life that I, I know that I was kind of playing the game and kind of going through the motions. And there was this duplicity. Uh, and I lacked the integrity. And that's what it is. But... But this is, it affects all aspects of your life where the gospel, so that you're, when you say one thing to somebody and behind closed doors you're saying something else, you don't have that anymore. Because, and, and what I discovered was that I'm not living for the audience of, of the, the crowd at Desert Breeze or the crowd out there at work or wherever I'm going. I'm living for an audience of one. That's him. God is always with me, so I, I want to please him. That's what he's saying here, a living sacrifice. Live your life for him because of, of his amazing mercies, chapters 1 through 11. Oh, my goodness, don't you understand what he's done for you? Don't you want to live for him? You're living for an audience of one, private and public, but also worship, work, and play. In our culture today, we tend to worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. But you should see the same intensity as it relates to the gospel infiltrating every one of those in our worship, work, and play. And how we, we live those out. How we live the gospel out in all of those different areas. You should be asking yourself, how would the gospel apply specifically to, to my job and how I relate to the people on the job? Am I putting Christ on display in how I'm interacting with them? And how I'm showing love to them and how I'm speaking truth to them? Or in your home or out at play playing uh, ball or whatever you enjoy doing or hanging out and watching the game tomorrow night, the big college game. How do you interact? How do you share that time with others? Here's the next one. Inner and outer, your being and doing. It affects all aspects of life. So, so here, maybe you never thought of this. I mean, it's, it's true. You can do loving things and not be a loving person. You guys understand what I'm saying? And so here's what's interesting about the gospel, uh, that you don't have to, when, you, when your friend is going through a crisis, you don't have to get all panicky and say, what should I do? Well, if you're just a loving person, it will come from your, who you are. It will just overflow your life. And certainly it's good to ask, hey, how should I touch their life? But you're, you're not going to be so focused on how am I behaving, but you're more focused on your love for them and what are, what are they needing during this time. And it will flow out of your being we tend to be preoccupied with doing in our society. We're about an inch deep and a mile wide. And we, we are so focused on doing all the right things. It's, the doing comes 
as a result of the being and the focus needs to be on the being. Sometimes it takes a while for the doing to catch up to the being, but you got to start with the being. Who are you? Do you really know him? Do you have a genuine love for Jesus? Have you experienced his love crash into your heart, captivate your heart? I mean, is it something that his love ravishes you? You're smitten by his beauty and his glory. You don't have to worry about what you're going to do. You're going to do what you need to do, what, what needs to be done in that particular situation because it's just flowing out of who you are. That's how the gospel impacts our lives, to be so filled up with who Jesus is. It's just going to naturally flow from your life. And then inlet and outlet spiritually. It affects all aspects of life. So I want you to do this real quick. Turn to the person next to you and see if they, uh, they know the difference between these two bodies of water. The Dead Sea versus the Sea of Galilee. There's a distinct difference between the two, these two bodies of water. And all of us would probably, our lives would fit into one of those two categories, these distinctives between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. They're in the the Promised Land region. There's these two bodies of water. Real quick, what's the difference? Discuss it with the folks sitting around you. Okay, what'd you guys come up with? So what's the Dead Sea? Anybody familiar with you guys? How many would show of hands know what I'm talking about when I say the Dead Sea? Okay, it's dead, isn't it? Yes, it's very dead. But why is it dead? Because it, it, there's no outlet. How many were thinking no outlet? Yeah, there's an inlet, no outlet. What about the Sea of Galilee? It's full of life. It's vibrant. It's because it has an inlet and it has an outlet. Now, all of us tend to live our lives like that. We, we can either be the consumer. We're just consume, consume, consume. And we've got to ask ourselves, why am I consuming? What's the purpose of my consuming? Because it's an appropriate kind of consuming. Because we want to be a church here at Desert Breeze where you receive gospel ministry. Certainly, you need to come in and consume. There's a receiving that has to take place. But now, you need to know what you're receiving, and you need to be able to identify, you know, when you come to church and you select a church, you select a church because you're going to want to receive the, the appropriate things so that you can then go out and give gospel ministry. So we want to be a church where you receive gospel ministry, but also give gospel ministry. The difference between the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea is an inlet with no outlet, thus it is dead, but the Sea of Galilee is an inlet with an outlet. It's vibrant, full of life. And, and our lives can fit into one of those two categories. You can't give what you don't have. And so this is certainly a place where you can come and, and receive but if you're not moving beyond the, the receiving to where you're becoming more like Jesus, that makes sense. If you're a disciple of his, you'll become more like him. And as it says in Mark ten forty five, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That would be living sacrifice. So that should be true about you. So there should be this inlet, but also an outlet. And you should be very... Uh, clear about how you choose your inlet with the things that nurture you and build into your life. God is greatly honored when people come to corporate worship starving for him, deeply desiring that they will meet him and hear from him. That's, I hope, is why you come here. Not to critique the music or the speaker or anything else, but to see him, to encounter him, to hear from him. And it's interesting, a lot of times I'll hear, I'll ask people, why do they go to a particular church? And they'll say, oh, they got the coolest coffee bar. Okay, what else do they have? Oh, the music's just really wonderful. Where's God in that? Do you go there to encounter him? And that's one thing about us, we're not, you guys know, you hang out with us long enough. And I think that's why a lot of people like coming here, because we're not here to entertain. Um... We might not be the most polished in the valley. I mean, we're, we're far from that because that's not our point. Our point is that you would encounter God. You would encounter the God of the galaxies that is madly in love with you. I'll tell you what, you will never be the same. You get a few moments with him, it doesn't matter how good or bad the music is doesn't matter how funny this guy is up here or whatever. That's, that's not the point. The point is, I want to know him. I want to experience him. See, that's, that's that inlet. And you do that, you do that here. You do it in small groups. You do it in your personal time with him, reading God's word, prayer. And it's an encounter with the God of, of the creator, sustainer of the heavens and the earth. And so 
My job is, is not to just change your ideas about God, but to stir up affection for him. I, I, want, I want to stir up appetite for him. When you walk away, you're going, I want what he's got. I want what they've got. I want, I want to see God more clearly. God's glory in your life hangs in the balance. Whether you're going to live for you or your glory or somebody else's glory or God's glory. It really, that's based on, it's based on your appetite for God because God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. And so my job is to stir up that within you. And, uh, and so, I mean, so the question is, and we're going to get into more specifics next week, but it affects all aspects of your life, private, uh, worship, work, play, inner, outer, inlet, outlets. So you, you need to be thinking, okay, I've got these inlets, but now I've got to be looking for some outlets. What are some ways that I can begin to give? And by the way, how many have found this to be true, that when you begin to get involved in ministry, oh my goodness, God's flow of grace even comes that much more exponentially into your life as you minister to folks. I've gone to show of hands. Real quick, okay, I, I've gone to hospital uh, and visited people in hospital. I don't know that that's necessarily my gift. I don't have the gift of mercy. You know, mine's more of like, hey, what's wrong with you? Get over it. Um, that's not true. I don't really, I don't respond like that. But I, I don't necessarily have the gift of mercy. But I know this, that when I go in there and I'm sensitive to the voice of God and allow God to use me in those times, I'm more ministered to than the people that are troubled. How many have ever experienced that before? Show of hands. Yeah. That's That's wild. And so, that's what you're thinking here. Living sacrifice. Here's the next one. It is a really, it is a really smart way to live. <laughs> yes. You probably thought I just pulled that out of the sky. It's actually right here in the verse, verse 1. It says, which is your spiritual worship. The word spiritual, you guys can look that up if you want. If you've got an iPhone or a smartphone or whatever you got your books. I know some guys back there have their iPads, and so you can look that up. Look up that word. It actually, the word comes from that as reasonable or rational. It's your rational way to serve God. In other words, this is really a smart way to serve God, is a living sacrifice. Now, some of you, there might be those that are here, and we have, a, and I, I love it when uh, unchurched people come, and even non-Christians come, people that are not really sure about the whole God thing or the Christian thing, and, and people will often say, Things like this is that, uh, well, if this is the Christian life, living sacrifice, I'm out. I want to be free. Don't kid yourself. You think you're free? Nobody's free. Everyone lives and sacrifices for something. Anything less than God will let you down. If you don't live for Jesus, you'll live for something. And he is the only Lord that completely fulfills and totally forgives. See, if you live for your career, um, and you don't quite you know, meet the standard that you think that you need to achieve, it will beat you the rest of your lives. It is so unbelievably unforgiving. And even if you did reach that standard, it's unfulfilling. Because you weren't created with a God-shaped or a career-shaped void within you. It's a God-shaped void within you. Or maybe you're, you're living for the love of someone, eventually they'll disappoint you. Or you're living for your kids and how their kids turn out, ah, they'll disappoint you. Just a matter of time. And ultimately, even if they don't, you know, they're gonna, it's not going to fulfill you. You weren't created to live for any of those things other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, he is the only Lord that when you fail him, he forgives you. When you get him, he fulfills you. Oh my goodness, it's awesome. Live for him. That's the living sacrifice. So, and, and I know people will still argue and they'll say, well, I don't live for anybody, I don't sacrifice for anybody. Yes, you do. You do. And guess what? You will live, you will, you will die a lonely death sacrificing at the altar of your independence. That's what you're living and sacrificing for is your own independence. Everyone lives for something or somebody. And so, so the Bible is very clear about that. That's why he's saying this is really a smart way to live. So, so how do I know God's love is on the move in my life? Um, it is ongoing. It is a death to your will. 
It affects all aspects of my life. It is a really smart way to live. Let me give you a story here real quick to kind of sum, summarize this section. And then we'll move on to the next. The next will move pretty quickly. It's a story of a young American woman in the 1930s who was, uh, she was in her late teens. So this is back in the 1930s. She was in her late teens, was very moved by the messages at a Christian conference, made a commitment to give her whole life in a very special way to missionary service in Asia. Unlike many young people who make this kind of commitment and it only lasts for a few weeks, this young woman held on to her resolve and finished high school and went on to the missionary agencies and learned how dangerous it was. In the 1930s, many missionaries were being killed in Asia. Now, there's many missionaries being killed even to this day in many countries. That's still happening to this day. But she kept her commitment and went on to college where she got training. The missionary agencies required training in theology and then cross-cultural studies, but they also required one more thing. Guess what they required? They required that she would be married. She needed to be married because they're not going to send a, a single American gal yeah, into missionary work. There were a, a lot of reasons for that. It wasn't safe, but also just for a lot of cultural reasons. So one night at the end of high school, this young woman sat down and had a conversation with God and said, Lord, I take my hands off my life. I give you everything. I don't care about a comfortable life. I don't care about a safe life. I give you my whole life. I'm going to do the missionary training and give my life to missionary service. There's only one thing I need from you. Guess what it was? I need a husband. So she went to four years of Bible college, and then when she was finished, she went to a missionary training school similar to our seminaries, uh, kind of graduate education. And then at the end of the Bible college, no husband, no boyfriend, no prospects. She went into her two years of graduate school, no husband, no boyfriend, no prospects. On the night before she was about to graduate from graduate school, from seminary, no husband, no boyfriend, no prospects. She sat in her dorm room, an angry young woman. God, how can you do this to me? I have nothing else I can do, and I have nowhere else to go. I have given my life to you. And she wrestled, and she struggled, and she wrestled, and she struggled. And miraculously, she suddenly realized that she had been kidding herself. She suddenly realized that she wasn't miserable because she had taken her hands off her life, but because she had never really taken her hands off her life. She realized that she had developed an idea of a heroic life, a noble life, and said to herself, if I can live that kind of life, my life will have meaning and purpose and will be noble and heroic so she did everything she needed to do to make God indebted to her. And she realized that in reality, she had not taken her hands off of her life. She was using God, not serving God. She realized that she was telling him what he had to do. And she said, that night for the first time, I took my hands off of my life. Living sacrifice. What does that mean? A living sacrifice is believing that because God is infinitely wise, I will do everything he wants me to do, whether I agree with it or not. This is unconditional obedience to God's word in every area of your life. Now, some of you, I know that you, you struggle with this because you're still continuing to live however you want to live, and you know that it says certain things in God's Word, and you're living outside of that. And it's just because you question His love and wisdom for your life. In essence, you're really trampling on His love and wisdom. But, see, but uh, it, it involves that. And for some of us, that's not very hard. We want to live according to God's Word because we, we trust His love and wisdom. But here's where it really gets hard, and this is what I've struggled with for many years, and maybe you're there. A living sacrifice is believing that because He is infinitely good, I will praise Him for whatever He brings into my life, whether I understand it or not. This is grateful submission to God's plan for every area of my life. I know that some of you have just gone through one of probably the worst year you've ever had. 
2012. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, I am so glad to get out of that year. 2013 couldn't come quick enough. And you're still trying to figure it all out. God, if you love me, why would you allow all this stuff to happen in my life? And what is this all about? I just don't understand it. Yes, I know that. And yet he's saying, will you surrender to me in the plan that I have for, you, for your life? See, and that's part of that living sacrifice. There are things in my life I still kind of like, what, is this? what was that all about? Grateful submission to God's plan for every area of my life. I, I did... I don't know how many funerals I did here at the end of this year. It's, it's, it's almost been kind of a consistent pattern here. It's crazy. Can you, because he is infinitely good, will you praise him for whatever he brings into your life, whether you understand it or not? Grateful submission to God's plan for every area of my life. If you can do that, you're beginning to be a living sacrifice. And uh, that's what it means. That's hard. That's really hard. She was saying, I'll obey if. I'll obey if. Whatever is on the other side of the if is your real God. Okay. That's, that's a living sacrifice. Now, why do I want to be a living sacrifice? Why would I want to be a living sacrifice? I gave you some more cross-references there. They're really beautiful. 1 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15, 17 through 21. It just talks about Paul saying, hey, it's the love of Christ that compels me. Lots of people live really good lives of integrity, honesty, and generosity. In fact, I know people that aren't Christians that live better lives of lives, good lives of integrity, honesty, and generosity better than some Christians I know. How many have, have seen that, actually? Okay. That's not unusual. But here's what separates Christians from non-Christians. You've got to get this. You've got to understand this. The major distinction is not, not that we live lives of integrity, honesty, and generosity, because there's a lot of people out there that, that don't know Jesus that live those kind of lives. But here's what separates us from non-Christians. It's the why and the how. It's the why we live those kind of lives and the how we live those kind of lives. The why are the motives. The how is the power. Now, you can live good lives, you can live lives of integrity, honesty, and generosity out of extrinsic motivation. Uh, Jonathan Edwards called it common virtue out of fear and pride. Fear, what will people think? I better. It's almost the gun to the head kind of a response. You're a good person out of fear. Or pride, hey, look at me. I'm not going to be like all those other losers. And basically, he was saying that's extrinsic motivation, and it won't... Hold you to the task. It won't maintain the integrity, honesty, and generosity when no one is looking because it's based on this extrinsic uh, motivation and, and power. But Jonathan Edwards went on and said, but there's a different kind of motivation, and it's a, uh, it's a true virtuous kind of uh, living. And he said, it's based on a heart that is smitten by the beauty and the glory of Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. So, you know, when you look at your life, it's really important to ask yourself, why am I living a life of integrity, honesty, and generosity? Is it extrinsic or is it intrinsic motivation? My heart is truly smitten by the beauty of Christ. I want him more than anything. You should ask yourself that question. Anytime you're doing anything, I mean, even in coming to church, why are you here? Why do you get involved in the children's ministry or in our youth or give faithfully? What is it? If it's extrinsic motivation, fear and pride, common virtue. I mean, certainly Jonathan Edwards applauded that and said, you know, I don't disdain that, but there's something much deeper because that won't last. It's only this intrinsic motivation of true virtue of a heart smitten by Christ. This is not about appeasing God, it's pleasing God. If you were with us last weekend, you got a chance to hear the sound of grace. If you didn't get a chance, if you weren't here, I would invite you to go online and listen to it. The sound of grace was the dropping of rocks, and it was the woman caught in adultery, and we handed out rocks to everybody here. It was really an interesting, I haven't listened to it online, but I'm sure you could hear the sound as everybody was dropping those rocks. But this is what I found really fascinating about the story, is that after they dropped the rocks and left, because he said he was without sin, throw the first stone, Jesus came over to the woman and said, where are your accusers? I have none. And then he goes this, very profound, it's awesome. He goes, neither do I condemn you. 
Go and sin no more. That's the essence of the gospel. If you can understand that, you're beginning to get the gospel. And he didn't say, go and sin no more and I won't condemn you. He said, I don't condemn you. Oh my goodness, that's glorious. I invite you into my family. I accept you. I love you. You have all the resources of heaven available to you. Now, out of that, go and sin no more. That doesn't mean that she wasn't going to ever sin anymore. We all sin. But your motivation for why you do what you do is not to appease God, live as you ought so God can bless you. That's not, that's religion. It has nothing to do with Christianity. He loves you. He gave his life for you. Now, go live as you should. You understand what I'm saying? That's the Bible. So if we're not living as we should, where do we need to go back to? Neither do I condemn you. We go back to the gospel. We go back to the gospel and understand the gospel. It's still, there's, there's places in our heart that is yet to really invade and take over. Because when it does, it changes your life. You're never the same. And I'm always finding areas in my life all the time. Oh, there's an area. (laughs) I need to let the gospel invade that part of my life. I see that I'm behaving in a way. I'm not truly a living sacrifice in this particular situation or with these people or how I'm spending my money. Wait a minute, God. I need for you to invade my heart in that area with the gospel. Help me to see your love. Let your love move deep within my heart. And so... One, not commanded, but compelled. So why be a living sacrifice? It's not commanded, but compelled. Notice what he says here in verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, based on the first 11 chapters, I appeal to you. This is not duty, it's desire. Now, um, my wife, uh, her and I, we like, there's different cities that we enjoy visiting. We get some time off, and one of the big cities we like going to is New York City. Anybody enjoy going to New York City? It's a great place to go. And uh, she's been wanting me to take her around the holidays. We haven't done it yet, but she wants me to take her around the holidays. And, and maybe we will. Maybe we won't. But, uh, but let's just say this year was the year. And I planned a trip. And, and, I, and I surprised her. And I took her to New York City during the holidays. Woo, beautiful. And, and she was to say, oh, Ray, why? Why would you do this? And I responded to her by saying, it's my duty. I've read the books. I know what guys are supposed to do. So that's, that's, that's what you have, okay? What more do you want from me? How do you think that would go over? Not very good? No, but what if she said, why would you do this? And I responded like this. Because I find unbelievable delight in you. And I love you. And... Um, I find a great pleasure in seeing you finding pleasure when we're out together and, and I take you to these places. It's just, oh my goodness. Now, now, now if I said that, and she, there's no way that she would probably respond like this, but uh, she wouldn't say this. You would think it was weird if she said, so I say, I find pleasure in doing these things for you. And she said, you are so selfish. All you ever want to do is what makes you happy. She would, how, many, how many would think she would say that? No, she wouldn't say that. No, in fact, in fact, Nancy will be honored when I don't do it out of duty, but I do it out of delight. Would you agree with that? Why is that? Because wives are most glorified when husbands are most satisfied. Sound familiar? God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. Why would you give your time? Why would you give your time? talents why would you give your finances your money your treasure to god because god i find unbelievable pleasure in honoring you you understand what i'm saying it's like oh my goodness my heart is smitten why wouldn't i god after all that you've done for me this is just a drop in the bucket so see you see not commanded but compelled Not just head, but heart experience. Look at verse 1. He says, by the mercies of God, in view of. He's not talking about this is, you know. And certainly faith is uh, truth entering the head, igniting the heart, 
and outworking through the hands. But it's not just head. It's this igniting of the heart is what he's really getting at. This is a heart, as I've said over and over again. You hear it from me all the time. A heart smitten by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he has done for you that ruins you for anything else. Not just head, but heart experience. And then not robotically, but voluntarily, unconditionally pleasing to God. Once again, verse 1, to present, to present your bodies, that's voluntary. Holy, that's that unconditional, set apart. It means set apart or different for God. Acceptable, that's the word pleasing. Why would we do that? Because Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of voluntary offering of his life on the cross. Why did he offer himself? Because of his love for you. Because of his love for you. Because of his his love for you. The God of all creation died for you to give you life. Let me end with a story here. You've heard it before. Let me share it again. Ernest Gordon was a British soldier in World War II. He was uh, captured by the Japanese and he was made to work with thousands of others on what was called the Death Railroad, which was a railroad along the valley of the Kwai River in Thailand. Classic movie, Bridge Over the River Kwai. Anybody ever see the movie? Interesting movie, great movie. During World War II, POWs were made to work on the railroad. The conditions were so awful that one to 2,000 prisoners died for every five miles that was built. It got so bad that Ernest Gordon in his memoirs said that the men were all at each other's throats. They had gone back to the law of the jungle. He said death was everywhere and as conditions worsened, our lives became poisoned by selfishness, lies, hate, and fear. Formerly we had huddled together because of our fears, believing there was safety in numbers. We had still shown some consideration for one another. Now that was gone, completely swept swept away. Existence had become so miserable, the odds so heavy against us, that nothing mattered except to survive. We lived by the rule of the jungle, red in tooth and claw, the, the evolutionary law of the survival of the fittest. It was a case of, I look out for myself and to hell with everyone else. Everyone was his own keeper and all the restraints of morality were gone. But one afternoon, something happened. A shovel was missing at the end of the day. The officer in charge became enraged. He demanded that the missing shovel be produced or else. But when no one in the squadron volunteered that they had taken the shovel, the officer took his gun out and threatened to kill every one of them on the spot. Suddenly, one man stepped forward. I took it, he said. The officer put away his gun and picked up a shovel and beat the man to death on the spot. But at the second tool check, this time, no shovel was missing. There had actually been a miscount at the first check. The word spread like wildfire through the whole camp. An innocent man was willing to die to save everyone. The incident had a huge effect. We began to treat each other like brothers. Another man was caught trading with the local people, the tie for medicines for a dying comrade, and was sentenced to death. But he submitted to it, reading from a little Bible, cheering up the chaplain right before his execution. Death was still with us, no doubt about that. But we were being slowly freed from its destructive grip. What happened? The sacrificial love of one of one man giving his life for the rest changed a jungle into a community. And that was just a human being. Jesus Christ gave his life for you. He gave his life for you. See, that's the beginning of really beginning to understand the gospel. He died for me? Yes, you. He stepped forward and was beaten into the ground to save us from our sins. Now, here's the challenge that I put at the end of your notes. 
How can you come to grips with someone, Christ, giving himself utterly for you without you giving yourself utterly for him? Not to do so is stupid and it is wicked. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. So God, thank you. Thank you for meeting with us here today and speaking to our hearts. God, as we, as we head into a brand new year, God, more than anything, we want you to move with your love deep in our hearts. God, because you gave your life for us, we want to live our lives for you as living sacrifice. Because, God, you are infinitely wise, we want to do everything you want us to do, whether we, whether we agree with it or not. Unconditional obedience to your word in every area of our lives. Just take a moment. What, what is your next step? If God has spoken to you here this morning, you need to keep in mind that increased exposure to truth and decreased response equals a hard heart. You don't want to resist his work. You want to surrender to it. He loves you. What is the next step for you? Maybe your next step is just uh, just to start showing up here more regularly to get a better inlet going on in your life or to get involved in, in one of our small groups or to come to the game of life to build a rock-solid foundation for your faith or to, to, to bring your spouse to our marriage enrichment class or to get involved in the true woman or, or the men's ministry. Maybe your next step is to, to begin to give your time or your talents to, to the children's ministry or to the youth or opening up your home to, to host a small group or to begin to, to take the steps necessary so that you can lead a small group. What is that next step that God is speaking to you about this morning? And God, because you are infinitely good, we want to praise you for whatever you bring into our lives, whether we understand it or not. A grateful submission to your plan for every area of our lives. If you're here this morning and there's some things that went down in, in the last year or maybe the last decade, you're still working through... I would challenge you, as it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. You can trust his goodness in this. May our lives be a living sacrifice through our worship, work, and play, whether it be good days or bad days, showing, showing that you are more beautiful and desirable than all else. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with me? We continue on with this teaching series talking about how God's love works out of our lives. We'll get into more specifics next week. You won't want to miss. And so let me challenge you with this one verse. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. God bless you.